0: You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 21. I'm your host, András Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Bökman. See ya Stock!
1: Hey, Sanalyuk! how are you everybody
2: wonderful,
1: wonderful all around very well, yeah, very well thank
0: you and by the way mm-hmm. may the fourth be with you all oh yes
1: yes 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 yes
0: so it's star wars day on the oh, date of release of this episode mm, very
1: good my son and myself we just saw the latest Star Wars movie on uh, Blu-ray on Friday evening it was lovely i've i saw it on on the in the cinema and now we saw it again so it's a good good uh, film for a father and son to geek out on that's great um are you are you into Star Wars Yelena mm,
2: that will be a no <laughs> <laughs> okay what about
0: Star Trek then uh
2: that would also be a no Oh
0: really? Okay, you're out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right guys, it's been really lovely working with you. See ya, bye. <laughs> 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 I I find myself um yeah, so skeptic community uh in large part is very much uh in, in includes a lot of geeks. People mm-hmm. who are into Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Trek, Comic-Con and all these I'm sure wonderful things that I have no like, you know, part of. So I feel a bit of an outsider. <laughs> but I think, I think I blame my upbringing and the fact that I'm from Latvia. And it's um, yeah, you know, you don't get exposed to a lot of um stuff like that when you're grow, growing up in Latvia. Especially not as a girl. I, th- I think. Yeah, I missed out. I missed out on a lot and. Uh, Uh, I have tried to watch it, and it's okay. I just can't get excited about it.
1: That's okay, Juliana. It's good Mm. to have at least one sane skeptic in the world. (laughs) (laughs) You can fill that niche.
0: (laughs) Yeah, consequently skeptic. Not putting it away for a while while watching a a sci-fi movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, Star Wars. Mm. In which... There are several occasions when you see a huge moon appearing in the sky or two suns appearing in the sky. Um, have you guys seen the Super
1: Saturn? Oh, made yeah, a first? yeah. The meme, yeah. yeah stupid. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so if you didn't see the Super Saturn itself, only the meme on Facebook, that's because... That's where it is. There wasn't one. So <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: So, but it's unbelievable that it was genuinely I think it was intended as just joke Yes, and I did come across it given out or shared as a real thing so it's uh, what? Are you uh, totally out of your mind? By the way the other day I had a conversation with a girl at my workplace and she said did you know there are two sons? What? Imagine what went through my mind after that question (laughs) I said uh Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: what, what? What did she mean?
0: Uh, it turns out that she saw a YouTube video where they explained that there are two suns actually, and one is just hidden, and the other one is is what you see. Uh-huh. But actually, there are two suns, oh, and
1: that's a new one. I've never heard that.
0: I started explaining to her that there are twin stars. There are stars circling around uh, a common center of uh, gravity now I didn't get into that much detail but uh, I started explaining it to her that uh, these videos are not to be taken seriously and uh, actually there is only one Sun and it's more than enough and Thanks very much. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It feels okay. Or you could probably. say there's
1: a hundred so billion suns just in the in the, uh, in the galaxy. Yeah, that's
0: <laughs> that's what I said too. And um, she said, "Okay, whatever." Uh, <laughs> so she wasn't very much impressed by what I shared with her as an information. But it was shocking. Someone just going about saying that absolutely seriously. Oh boy. It was shocking to me. Mm. Oh, never mind. Mm. So that's that's when you start start to put
2: some things that people believe.
0: Yeah, but you, that's when you start to put your skepticism into into a different perspective, right? When there are people running around the world with beliefs like that, mm. so you are absolutely h- hopeless. But of course, there are occasions when my confidence in being a skeptic is is restored. But Steel. About this um, Super Saturn thing, Phil Plate wrote a very good article on his uh, Bad Astronomy uh, blog. What have you been up to, guys, recently?
1: I was contacted by a, a local chapter of one of the political parties, the youth section, who, who had wow. heard about uh, the skepticism and they wanted to know more. So I w- was invited to one of their... Uh, they Apparently they have monthly... Cafe meetings where they meet and drink coffee, and they invite somebody who, to 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 speak. So I was invited to talk for them. It was very really good. It wasn't too many people there, but it was a very nice discussion. So uh, it was nice. Political party. That's very nice. Mm-hmm. Actually,
0: I would I would love to see that um, the the idea of skepticism and critical thinking in general to to be um, an integral part of the the policies followed by by these political parties yeah. that would be very nice to see on a larger scale
1: yeah since this was the youth uh, section as well i i i saw it as a my education maybe they will grow up to be yeah politicians when they grow up and then they will have some sort maybe of idea about skepticism when they when they exercise their political deeds so hopefully good job great
0: Yalana. Hello. May the 4th. It's not only Star Wars Day, but it's a birthday of an important figure in science. Yes. Who is that person?
2: Thomas Henry Huxley. He was born in London on 4th of May 1825. Mm -hmm. And he was an English biologist known as Darwin's Bulldog. Uh, for his advocacy for Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. I love his nickname. I think it's the coolest. Um, if you ever want to have a nickname, that's one of the best ones to have. Um, so he was the son of the math teacher. And when he was 10, he, Huxley's family moved to Coventry. And three years later, he was apprenticed to his uncle, a surgeon at the local hospital. Um, he later moved to London and he continued study, studying medicine. And, um, he, during the, um, his life, he collected and studied marine invertebrates, sending his paper back to London. And when he returned, he found that the papers had been read and admired. Um, and in 1851, he was elected a Fellow of the Royal Society. Um, now in 1854, Huxley was appointed as a professor at the School of Mines in London. He met Charles Darwin around, um, 1856, and was all won over by his theory of evolution by natural selection. Um, Darwin's The Origin of Species was published in 1859, and it provoked a massive storm of controversy, um, because of course it's challenged the Christian belief that God created life on earth. And I know it has been a long time since then, since 1859, but there are places on the planet, on this Earth and in America that we know of, that it still is questioned and challenged. And there are people who are, uh, you know, life Earth creationists who still believe that Earth is 6,000 years old, uh, um, re- you know, despite the evidence. And um, Huxley's repeated and passionate defense of the book earned him the nickname of Darwin's bulldog that I mentioned earlier. Um, In uh, June 1860, he took a part in Oxford um, in famous public debate on evolution with Samuel Wilberforce, who was Bishop of Oxford, Um, and uh, he continued to lecture and gather data and publish uh, mostly on the subject of man's origins, so he published his own book called Evidence as to Man's Place in Nature. Um, and unlike Darwin's origins, this book focused on men's ancestry and uh, was short and uh, populist in style. So there we go, uh, Thomas Henry Huxley.
1: Awesome. I I think it was very important because uh, uh, I have a feeling that Darwin was not a very uh, aggressive person. He didn't want to go out there and argue. For his, he took a, forever to publish his his things. Pro- probably because he knew it would be very controversial and I don't th- think he was yep. very comfortable in f- in doing the debate. So he needed a bulldog and, and Huxley was <laughs> there to pick up the challenge. But, uh,
0: yeah, but uh, uh, my problem with this uh, title of being Darwin bu- Darwin's bulldog is um, that it gives you the impression that Darwin really wanted a bulldog for himself. Uh, because he was not confrontational enough but um but he wanted these fights to be fought but this is not necessarily the the case um as far as i know so um based on a few things I read about darwin uh, he he wasn't that much of a confrontational person really uh but so much so um that he didn't want to enter this uh this situation of controversy at all so he was pushed into in a way he was pushed into publishing his work and one of the people pushing him into it was actually huxley himself and he he used darwin's theory as as an actual weapon against the Church, yeah, so he really,
1: yeah, no, i it's really a question what what would have happened if if huxley weren't hadn't been there it's it's very possible that that Darwin's theory would not at least have made that kind of impact as it did, yeah, um, have you seen the the film creation mm. no <laughs> no nope.
0: okay don't don't be misled by the title because it is about the those years while. Darwin was writing The Origin of Species and it's a very uh, emotionally heavy piece of cinematic art um and it's based on the book of I think Darwin's great Great grandson. Ah,
1: yeah, I heard about this. Randall Keynes. He he wrote a book first. Yeah, the book. But the
0: book's title was Annie's Box, Uh, and Annie was Darwin's daughter. Ah, yeah. Who died in pneumonia? Yeah. And the amazing thing about this is that when I visited Darwin's house in Down, Kent, a couple of years ago, when I was there, Randall Keynes was there and he was giving a tour to a couple of friends of his and i overheard a few things that he was he was talking about and that's how i i found out that he was a descendant of darwin
1: <laughs> really nice
0: yeah then a couple of years later i saw the film creation and it's a beautiful beautiful film
1: all right be
0: prepared with uh with a large pack of uh, of tissues if if you start watching that film <laughs> All right, its dramatic effects are simply heartbreaking. Well, um, the main characters are played by brilliant actors like uh, Paul Batteny and Jennifer Connelly, and Huxley, portrayed by Toby Jones, um, makes a very strong statement in a wonderfully written scene, and this is why I brought the film up here. He says to Darwin, You've killed God, sir. Now, um, apart from it not being logically very solid, um, this thought scared the hell out of Darwin, and his struggles are beautifully shown in the film, Um, also coupled with uh, the emotional breakdown he had after losing his favorite child, Annie. Lots of interesting little details there as well, like uh, Darwin's fall for uh, bogus medicinal claims, uh but uh, but there is one other thing I wanted to clarify and that was accurately shown in the film too. Darwin didn't challenge the idea of God having created life on earth. Uh all he questioned was whether life as we know it had been created in the exact forms we see them uh, we see today. And it was not even him who had thought about that for the first time. Lamarck had already made it clear that life forms were constantly changing, but couldn't quite provide an acceptable explanation that is in line with observations. Darwin's work was so important because he gave a plausible explanation that was very strongly supported by evidence, and he had gathered that evidence uh, during his uh, travels with the beagle and uh, in his uh, home mm, laboratory, uh, so to say. And the other thing is that his theory has been since absolutely solidified by subsequent research. And he was not the only one presenting that mechanism, by the way. Um, Totally independently from his work, Alfred Russell Wallace came up with the same idea. Only he he didn't have that much information to support it, as Darwin did. And one of the reasons he was rushed to publish his work, I mean Darwin, was that Wallace was about to come out with his own theory. Um, But that's a, a different story. Anyway, I strongly recommend you watch the film Creation. It was released in 2009 to commemorate the 200th anniversary of Darwin's birth and 150th anniversary of the publication of On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favoured Races in the Struggle for Life. Mm -hmm. That was a full full title. Thank you very much, Jelena. That was refreshing. The adrenaline rush that uh, Huxley must have gone through many times. So, Let's check out what skeptics have to offer across Europe in the coming week. I have absolutely no idea what time of the day uh, we can release this episode on Wednesday, Mm. but uh, I want to mention this um, event because um, that's happening in Hungary, in Budapest, Mm -hmm. at uh, one of the most elite university colleges. At um, Eötvös Loránd University, um, it's Eötvös József College, and Karoy Hertlein, he, who is one of the most prominent science educators uh, in uh, pr- the present day in Hungary, he's going to give a, la- a, a talk um, titled "Science versus Pseudoscience." So he's going to explain what the difference is and how how this this can uh, they can be distinguished. He's also a member of the organising committee for the annual Skeptics Conference in Budapest, hosted by the Budapest University of Technology and Economics. Um, It's been going on for so long, this year they actually held their 13th event. I attended many of those events. Um, I wouldn't say all of those, but uh, I almost. Too bad this conference is more of a habit by now than uh, the real blast it used to be. However, Garo Herthlin's work is still great in science education and science communication. And the other thing about him is that I wrote his Hungarian Wikipedia article. Good. Yeah. Um, Thanks for the applause.
1: (laughs) So, what's happening after that? On the 5th of May, on Thursday, there is a Social Skeptics in the Pub in Liverpool uh, at... um Dr. Duncan's at St. John's Lane in Liverpool.
2: On uh, the 5th of May um, and from the 5th until the 7th of May there will be a SkepCon, a conference in Hamburg, a sceptical conference in Hamburg uh, with lots of good speakers. Um, You can check them out. We'll link them into a description box um, in the show. Um, So if you're um, around Hamburg... that will be uh, an event to attend.
0: And uh, there's going to be, on Thursday, it's actually a pre-conference event with uh, a few talks. Uh, One of them is going to be by uh, the members of this blog, Hogzilla, and uh, they discuss very interesting topics. But they recently published a book as well, Uh, just just to mention that.
1: On Monday the 9th uh, in Copenhagen, there is uh, Skeptics in the Pub which is called Polit- politicization of islam in uh, denmark the speaker is brian arli jacobsen and he is with uh, the university of copenhagen i think and he's a debater of uh, of islam and uh, so uh, i'm sure that will be very interesting
2: on May the 11th, there will be a Birmingham Skeptics in the Pub and uh, the theme of uh, the um, meeting is Blame the Brain, How Neuro-Nonsense Joined Psychobabble to Keep Women in Their Place Sounds very intriguing
1: mm-hmm. Oh, On the same date, in Newcastle there's a Skeptics in the Pub called EU Referendum uh, Also, of course, a very hot topic right now in the UK Also on the same day,
0: in Bournemouth ...down in the south of uh, England. Hunting monsters, the reality behind the myths. So that's a kind of a cryptozoology topic. And a science writer, technical editor and uh, paleozoologist... Um, ...who's affiliated with the University of Southampton... Uh, Darren Naish um, is going to be giving the talk. So that's about it for the next week it's uh, quite a lot of events but if we miss something please make sure that um, next time before the next event we are notified in advance well in advance so that we can put it in the calendar but there are others as well coming up uh, in the coming weeks so make sure you check out our calendar on the website which is TheESP.EU
2: You can contact us on Twitter uh, at ESpodcast underscore EU. Um, you can email us. Uh, our email address is info at theESP.EU. You can find us on Facebook or you can go uh, on our website, theESP.EU.
0: One more thing. QED tickets are now available.
2: <laughs> QED QED.
0: <laughs> it's gonna be held in manchester um uk between the 14th and 16th of october and it is probably the greatest international weekend in celebration of science and critical thinking mm. uh, at least in europe uh, that's where the three of us met for the first time actually
2: yeah
0: and we also made lots of acquaintances with the uh, people from all over the world so make sure you go and visit Qedcon.org and buy your ticket now it's 99 pounds
2: it's definitely worth it yeah uh,
0: very affordable I would say yeah. um, absolutely probably even for for uh, people coming from Eastern European countries as I did mm-hmm. I have attended three QEDs um, yeah so far and I wouldn't miss it for the world. Um, By the time you hear this, um, unfortunately, gala dinner will have probably sold out.
2: Yeah, the gala dinner, yeah.
0: But don't worry, uh, you won't miss a thing. Uh, It's it's a nice experience, but luckily the organisers always make sure nobody feels left out. So... All the most important happenings are included with your general ticket.
2: And I always say that that nothing replaces this connection that you establish with people, you know, face to face. When you listen to the talks, when you talk to the speakers, all the speakers at QED um, are very uh, approachable and you can just hang out with them. And I loved all my experiences there and you get to meet so many great people Um, and I know that online and Facebook is great but it doesn't inspire as much as the um, seeing uh, the, the scientists and skeptics on stage or just sort of talking to each other and it's great everybody should attend it I second that awesome
0: thank you Oh, guys, I have to tell you something terrible. I mean, nobody died just yet, um, or at least it's not known, but a potentially dangerous food supplement product has been revealed by Hungarian authorities recently. Uh, It is called Dragon Power. And obviously this sounds either like something from a Pokemon-like animation movie or the more likely aphrodisiac (laughs) And it is the latter. Uh, of course, the product claims to be all-natural, made of Chinese plant extract that will help you regain your sexual powers in no time, with no side effects whatsoever. You know, because it's natural. But according to a recent press release by the authorities, the National Public Health and Medical Officer Service had initiated the chemical analysis of the product and it was carried out... At the national institute of pharmacy and nutrition the hungarian equivalent to the american fda the food and drug administration this analysis indicated that the product contains a higher dose of sildanafil than its ddd which uh, stands for defined daily dose and um, it is the amount determined by the world health organization for every single drug on the market and do you know what sildenafil is and what it's used for?
1: No, I do not.
2: You? No.
0: Nope. That's because it's basically the active ingredient of a well-known drug that you've definitely heard about. That's called Viagra. Oh. Yes, it is. It is actually a vasodilator drug that affects your blood vessels, dilates them. Actually. Wow. Of course, that helps in achieving and maintaining an erection, but by allowing more blood in the penis but it also has an effect on your whole system by lowering blood pressure. Now the DDD for this drug is 50 milligrams but according to a doctor who wrote on a Springer owned website, website a 100 milligrams can cause an abrupt drop in blood pressure also, it has several other dosage-dependent side effects. So if what the National Institute of Pharmacy and Nutrition found was more than the defined daily dose for the active ingredient, no one that a national public health and medical officer service immediately issued a ban on the product, as it obviously can cause serious harm.
1: So, so, it's, so it can be really dangerous if you don't know what you're doing, yeah? Huh?
0: Especially to patients uh, with cardiovascular problems. They also notified European regulatory bodies about the, the findings, which is also an important move, given that this product circulates all over the continent. So it shouldn't be allowed to, to stay on the market for too long. Uh, there is one more thing about this, though. This product has been marketed as food supplement, which means they didn't have to adhere to the strict rules applied to medicinal products. Uh, regulation of food supplements is very loose there are several ways to follow the rules uh, but still go on the market with, with something that claims to have a positive health effect but is basically useless or even harmful they don't have to provide data for effectiveness no clinical trials whatsoever so all they have to make sure is that it doesn't contain harmful ingredients and it was manufactured in accordance with regulations One would think that it comes with uh, some kind of inspections, but it doesn't. Uh, The awful thing about this is nobody actually investigates these products unless there is a reporting. This is what must have happened in the case of Dragon Power as well. So someone probably had reported it and the authorities reacted and followed through. Um. Luckily for for us. And I believe there are several things to take home from this story, actually. First of all, don't fall for naturalistic claims. These people who put it on the market, they want to make money and they don't care. Secondly, be suspicious about food supplements with health claims. It's just a way around regulations, basically. If it's supposed to be used as medicine that it's gonna be listed as medicine and not food supplement so the third take-home message I think is that authorities have to be notified about bogus claims by reporting things you find questionable basically you can make a difference Mm -hmm. so please do it Mm. and don't fall for don't fall for quackery and don't fall for food supplements.
1: No, oh, it's just money isn't it? I have a little bit of a sad news. There's a website called Doubtful News uh who has been around for uh, for a few years now and it was very good posting uh you know uh, skeptical aspects on different uh, uh, news that have been around uh, on the internet. And they have decided to go in hiatus there so they're taking a pause indefinitely, so we don't know when they're coming back. We will miss them. Sharon Hill is the person who has been uh, driving this over the last uh, few years and invented it. Uh, she's posted about 8,000 posts, uh, and they are still there. We can still read them, but she has decided that it's uh, it's a lot of work, and I understand that, So, but it's a little bit sad to see them... them uh, uh, you know, take a pause and uh, I, I've used it quite a lot over the years, so it, it's it's a bit sad
0: concept the Portuguese skeptic community, recently published an article on their website explaining why the notion that Wi-Fi is harmful to people is wrong This refutation was uh, written by Diana Barbosa in reply to a nine-pages long article in a former issue of Visão Um probably translates as Vision, a weekly magazine that apparently is usually quite highly regarded for its quality, um, even by skeptics in Portugal. This is why now they were shocked to see the cover with a big yellow warning sign that says Wi-Fi zones a health threat? question mark. Um, and it was followed by a long article full of misleading claims. Uh, applying all sorts of bad practices and fallacies, but failing to apply a critical approach, of course. The article in Visao cites several so-called experts and refers to cases in different countries that are good examples of political hype without a scientific basis. But this is what generates emotional reactions in the readers. So this is um, actually a selling point. So what Concept did as a reaction to this was publish an article with all the refutations of these fearful claims, listing lots of articles written by real experts that discussed research into the issue and I have to say it's an impressive list uh, that is followed by a form that can be signed by anyone to express their uh, worry about layman explaining topics like this to the public, thus uh, of course spreading misinformation uh, as well as generating fear and distrust with absolutely no reason.
1: But it's very, good, very useful to have that list of, of, of uh, official re- refutations or also because it pops up all the time, even in you know, casual conversations with people at work, etc. Everybody has this feeling, oh, it must be very dangerous. With So it's good to have a source to, to link to.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and what's great is that even though the article itself was written in Portuguese, the cited literature is actually in English. So everyone can use them. And, of course, we'll provide a link to the article in the show notes in case you want to check them out. Um, Probably probably with the aim of writing up something in your own language. Uh, Yeah. Something that I do recommend you do. Yeah. So, yes.
1: Yeah. Good work, Diana.
0: Well done. Every week... We interview someone who represents a sceptical organisation, group or project either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. This time, our guest is science communicator, blogger and podcaster Marit Simonsen, widely known in the movement as the Queen of Norwegian Skeptics. She's a sceptical activist, frequently invited speaker and co-organiser of Skeptics in the Pub events in Oslo she is former president of the Norwegian Skeptics Association Skepsis and co host of the Norwegian skeptical podcast Saatklippa. But she also writes a kindly titled blog, Hugs and Science. Marit, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much.
0: That was again quite a mouthful. Um, so you've been quite active in the movement. But everyone has a start. Everyone has a point where they started to get involved. Um, what was this point for you? What Do you have a certain event to connect it to or uh, it was a gradual thing that you got really immersed in this whole activism thing?
3: Um, well, I think like most people, it was a lot of things. But uh, one of the main things was that I started studying biology. Um, and... Uh, while I was studying biology I got really into popular science I started reading a lot and I listened to the SGU, which of course a lot of people do, and they talked about this scientist who um, who um, is named Richard Lensky and he has this long-term evolution experiment, or long-term E. coli evolution experiment is actually the right title. He, um, he basically took a lot of E. coli and put them in different flasks and just let them evolve for like 30 years now. And uh, it's been a lot of generations and one of the flasks, one of the strains of E. coli has evolved some new traits. And he also, uh, every couple of weeks, he takes out some samples, so he has like an evolutionary record, fo- frozen fossil record in his lab. And I just thought that that was a really cool experiment. And then when they talked about it on the um, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, they also talked about how he was attacked by creationists, because he basically has proven that um it's possible for organisms to evolve new and useful traits. So uh, specifically, one of these these, uh, strains has evolved the ability to digest and and sort of live off citrate, which is a nutrient that that E. coli is traditionally not known to survive on. And, uh, well, the creationists attacked him, and he just wrote these amazing letters back to them. And especially the last letter, I, I would really recommend reading. It's uh, like a page long, but it's really, really good. It's on Conservopedia, and it's called the Lenski Conservopedia Dialogue. And anyway, I, I read this, and I was just so excited about it. I just thought, like, this whole research project is completely amazing, and this guy who wrote this amazing letter is completely amazing. And I told all my friends about it, and none of them had heard about any of it. They were just like, what? What is this? And I was just like, damn it. I need to find a way to like tell people about all these amazing things that I hear. And so that's when I started to, I actually started a Facebook group first, that was in like 2008, it's a while ago, Uh, and I started a blog so I could tell people about all these amazing things. And that was basically my whole start of my interest in science communication, and that got me, of course I was interested in creationism, so that got me even more into creationism, and, and after that, skepticism in general. And I really, um, it was really fun. I got to meet him uh, pretty recently when he visited Norway and I just walked up to him and like said, I just have to shake your hand because, you know, you really (laughs) changed my life a little bit when you put me on this course of science communication. And he was just a little bit overwhelmed, I think, but it was a really lovely moment. So that's how I got into it, basically.
0: Did you also have the chance to to study some of the science communication at uh, university?
3: No, actually, uh, we didn't. That uh, didn't really exist, as I'm sure it doesn't exist in, in most universities where you study science. So, But I had another friend um, who was really into science communication. Uh, she had studied a bit of journalism, and we we started talking about why why don't we learn communication? Communication is so important for, for a natural scientist to learn, and you know, for most scientists even, but especially for a natural scientist because we're so far removed from public debate and every time we learn how to write a paper and write a scientific discussion we're told to you know be less emotional and be less personal and and really stay out of, of debates because we are just supposed to provide the the facts and not really discuss things and we were frustrated by that and we sat down we designed what we thought would be a really good course in science communication that covers different topics such as like essay writing and um, uh, how to write an op-ed piece you know how to write debate pieces how to give a lecture and we talked about or we, we also imagined having some speakers that would inspire people to think a little bit more about the role of science communication in society and we went to the university with it and at first they were a little bit um, insulted that uh, we had the nerve to suggest that we didn't learn everything we needed to and also they were insulted that we almost didn't use want to use any lectures from the university itself we only wanted to have like real journalists and (laughs) panelists and and debaters Um, but after a few years of work we actually got them to put it up as a full term university course so it's it now exists at the University of Oslo it's called um, MNCOM which is like math natural science communication and it is now at its fourth year um after a three year trial period it's now become a permanent staple in the in the course. And we can tell that the university is really proud of it. They always advertise it when they talk about their communication efforts and uh we can really see that a lot of things have been changing. We're really um educating a new generation of, of uh, scientists that have thought about communication ever since they were on their bachelor programs. So uh, yeah,
1: that's really fantastic. I, I think ev- every university should have. Yeah, that. we do too. So, uh, this... Do you know? Is it spreading anywhere, or, or is it just in Oslo?
3: That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have been contacted by students at some of the other Norwegian universities who want to put it up at their their own universities. Mm. So they were probably they're working on sort of designing a similar course that they can have, which we're really really happy about. And we're also uh, working on expanding it to a so- to the social sciences. Just for the University of Oslo, even though I think the most people who study social science are a bit more aware that they need to be debaters, because there's so much more debate about social science in the media. Um, But I still think that there's a lot that they could learn and and have use from.
0: That's really very impressive. And, And that was all while you were the student at the University of Oslo, if I understood correctly.
3: Uh, well, we started the work when we were students, but then yeah. both me and my friend got other jobs. But we sort of kept working on it from, from there and had meetings at the university and stuff while we were um, at work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we got it up and it's now running and we're so happy about it.
0: And was it that around the same time that you got involved in the Norwegian skeptical movement?
3: Yeah, actually, I think that um, I was probably more active in the skeptics movement. um even before this happened, or even sort of when this idea was being born, um, what happened was that I, I started all this commun- the science communication, the blogging, started following all these ideas, um, and not to mention started going to the Norwegian Skeptics in the Pub, which has just started a couple of months earlier, and I found it from a Norwegian blog. Um, and there I met a lot of other wonderful skeptics, of course. And we went, a group of us went to Tam London in 2009. Mm. And when we came back from there, we were all so excited and so like geared up, and like we gotta do something. We gotta get skepticism on the map in Norway. <laughs> uh, so then we decided to start a conference, and that was just sort of out of the blue, just based on TAM, how fun, how much fun we had, how inspired we were. So then we started this Norwegian conference called Kritisk Mossa, which was the the Norwegian conference on science and critical thinking. Um, and we had some international guests and we had some Norwegian guests So the first year we had Simon Singh and Rebecca Watson which was really really fun Um, and yeah a lot of good Norwegian speakers and then we had another conference two years later in 2012 so basically when we were working on that I got asked to uh, run for president of the Norwegian skeptics and the skeptics organization had been asleep for a very very long time basically just sort of sending out the membership fee every once in a while and putting out some books and newsletters but not really having any organizational activity um, so uh, a group of us or some of us were asked to contribute there and we we got it back up and running in 2011 so so then you know I was suddenly a part of everything uh, and we And when we uh-huh. were organizing the conference, we uh, somebody thought, um, well, a lot of, a, a, a couple of people started talking about making a podcast, and then they said, "Oh, shit, there's going to be a conference. We need to make it happen so we can interview the people at the conference." So they started the the podcast, which I was also invited to be a part of at exactly the same time as um, the first conference took place. So that's Saltlipa. Mm-hmm. Which was uh, sh- which was uh, started by my brother and the skeptical blogger called Gunnar Schumlid, who runs a really good blog, uh, and another guy who's a science communicator called Andreas Wall. Um, yeah, so then I was a part of all those things, and that's when somebody titled me the skeptical queen.
1: Uh, I, we saw you, uh, the Swedish skeptics. We saw you in in Stockholm a few weeks ago uh, during the. Swedish Skeptics Yearly Meeting and you were kind enough to to hold a a speech there and you said something that that has lingered in my mind. You said skepticism is almost mainstream in in Norway. What did you mean with that?
3: Yeah, um, I think that we have gotten really lucky and I'm sure that many people will disagree with me when I say that skepticism has become mainstream, but I really think that it has. you know, like in the early two thousand and tens we you know, we had our own conferences and and our podcast. But I think that one thing that happened was that we have this amazing blogger whose name is Gunnar Shumlid. He runs a blog called Sok Sint, which means uh, it's a pun on being weak sighted, but really that he's like fact sighted, he's uh fact oriented. And he writes about vaccines, he writes about homeopathy, he like anytime somebody um, from the alternative movement says something in the media. He he goes through all their statements and links to good resources and like fact checks everything. And and he's just like a really clear and good writer. And in 2012, this blogger was contacted by a person who was being um harassed by this pyramid scheme company called the Shosai Chocolate Company. And they sell like this nutritious kind of chocolate. And so um uh, Gunla, this blogger, he wrote about this case and about the pseudoscience of the claims that the chocolate is making, and the fact that they were pyramid scheme, um, and that they were harassing, like it was like a chocolate mafia, and that happened like right before the summer, and you know, in the summer, the papers don't have anything to write about, and all of a sudden, this like little tiny skeptical blog case was on the front pages of the Norwegian newspapers, so that kind of made this blogger um, into a celebrity, <laughs> a little bit of a celebrity at least. People got um, their eyes open for his blog, and, and more people started following it. And, uh, you know, he's been prolific, he's been really good, and he's he's uh, really criticized the media for a lot of their presentation of, of a lot of the Norwegian um, pseudoscience, like we have this old healer who's a really sweet old man who just seems like the kindest person ever. And like um of course we have our princess who, who uh who talks to angels. So every time that the media write about things like this, he would um criticize them and say, remember to write alleged healer, alleged psychic, alleged uh, you know, making sure that they use the right words and that they never concede anything. And that's really had an effect, I think. Um people keep citing his blog. I see it all the time in Facebook discussions um he's he's been a really important figure and also about at the same time there was a tv program created by the norwegian broadcasting company which is called like public information or something like that um it's called in norwegian it's called folkeopplysningen and they the first season was six episodes and they took up topics like homeopathy acupuncture like miracle machines and, you know, it was a huge hit for some reason. It just struck a note. It struck a chord in, in society, and, and people really got their eyes open for, for all these things. And it started a lot of debates. So I think somehow, like, these factors together have made it okay. It made it acceptable for people to, to ask questions, um, to, you know, comment if your friend shares a, a link about uh, a a miracle water. You can... You can link to something and on their Facebook page and, and still be friends because more people are aware that these critical opinions exist in society.
1: You mentioned the, the, the princess, Ma- Marta Luis. Yeah. Uh, tell, for those who don't know, please tell us a little bit about her and what she's done and, and if she's had any impact.
3: Well, um, she is the uh, eldest daughter of the king and queen, but she is not in line to be uh, the queen right now, actually, she's uh, because she was born. Um, Yeah, because of her gender, basically. Um, And uh, I think a lot of people are happy about that because a lot of people don't want to see her as queen. When she was young, she used to ride a lot of horses and stuff, and and I think somehow through that she developed an idea that she had a sort of telepathic bond to animals. And uh, after she's grown up, she has um, really caught on to this idea and held onto it that she has a strong bond and to like a spiritual world and she has developed this whole idea about being able to talk to angels literal angels that watch over you and take care of you and that you can ask them for things so now she gives courses about talking to your angels she set up this whole school uh... with another friend um where they charged a lot of money to teach you how to talk to angels and get in touch with the spiritual spiritual world and they released a couple of books and i know that they've also been on tour i've seen that they've been in italy and stuff so they've been been around europe at a lot of like alternative conferences and stuff uh yeah so she's definitely a very alternative person and since she's famous there has been a lot of uh focus on it
1: but do people take her seriously
3: no, people don't take her seriously. In general, I think most people laugh about it. A lot of the humor programs sort of make fun of her. Um, of course, there are some people who buy her books and stuff, but in general, she's mocked a lot. And, um, you know, she's a, a Christian, like the the king in Norway, he has to be a Christian, um, <laughs> according to the constitution, which is quite sad. And, um, and she's a Christian as well, and, and you know the church has actually debated her ideas so sometimes on the front pages you'll see something like this priest is criticizing the princess for being a spiritualist because that those are not ideas that are in the church that she is a member of and um, so there's been a lot of criticism from different angles actually both from skeptics and from from the church and um, yeah that's fun (laughs) <laughs> my perception is and
2: I, I'm sure like a lot of people probably perceive it the same that Norway is an atheist well atheist country um, and uh, what would your opinion would be do you think is, a, is it is a, a, as atheistic as everyone seems to think godless godless country
3: <laughs> godless country yeah. well we do have our share of like satanists and metal metal uh, Norwegian black metal church burners uh, <laughs> that's definitely a part of our our cultural heritage. No, but anyway, um, the there was actually recently a a study released that showed that for the first time there are more people that don't believe in God then do believe in God in Norway even though the majority was like 39 percent to 37 percent and of course we have the largest humanist um, humanist organization in the world Um, even in pure numbers not just in percentages because we're a small country but in pure numbers we have about 85,000 members in the humanist organization and a lot of that has to do with the funding of the Norwegian um, life stance and religious communities that's paid for by the state so they have a lot of good resources and um, every couple of years the humanist organization runs some studies that ask people about sort of what what kind of values they identify with and if they believe in God and you know in general it's like even though the church we have a state church and it has about eighty percent of the population as a member um, still if you ask people about their values and what they believe in not that many people are actually Christian so I think that the impression that we're quite atheistic is 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 pretty on point and uh not to mention the fact that religion is not really something that people talk a lot about Mm. um it's really something that's private and it's almost a little bit embarrassing to to talk about (laughs) very similar to to England then (laughs) yeah Yeah. um
2: I want to just ask a follow-up
3: on that um, mm-hmm.
2: even though maybe the uh, traditional church uh, going isn't uh, whatever is not isn't, isn't what people do. Um, did you see the rise of um, happy clappy Christian sort of religion, sort of similar to American mega churches, but obviously as mega as they can be in, in small Norway? Um, <laughs> because I'm, I'm only asking that because of um, the country that I'm from Latvia, we uh, saw a, a huge rise of those Th- this kind of movement uh after the Soviet Union fell, and it was like this gap uh the the spiritual g- that, that that's been f- filled in by these uh churches um and so I know a lot of people who, for example, went into uh a, a movement called uh, New generation Church, you know where you don 't go to to a uh building that that's specifically built as a church it's it's normally like a massive um faceless building uh with hundreds of people who are singing and happily and clapping and stuff. Did you see similar
3: thing happening in Norway? I love that expression, happy clappy. I'm going <laughs> to use that. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, well, there has been... We, we have also had some branches of this new generation. Um, and we've had some people called Jesus Revolution, I think. Um, but they really haven't been that big. I guess it's because Norway has had a much more gradual decline in, in religiosity. It's been very slow and steady. And also, I think that a lot of Norwegians find the whole, uh, like the American, there's some, some churches in America that are very like prosperity churches yeah. where they talk about how you're going to get rich. That just speaks against the Norwegian persona, I think, which is very humble and, and not supposed to be rich and flashy. Lasty, yeah, um, yeah, that's definitely against our, our culture. So, uh, you know, there's been a little bit, there is a lot of Christianity down on the southern coast. That's our Bible belt. And, uh, but uh, yeah, in the rest of the country, not so much.
0: Based on all this, regarding that skepticism is kind of in the public eye, and uh, Norwegian people being quite atheistic, and in that sense that you just uh, explained, what is there for Norwegian skeptics to do? <laughs> I mean. <laughs>
3: Well, you know, humans are irrational, even if uh, even if we have a couple of battles won. Um, you know, there's still, uh, we have a very liberal law about alternative medicine, so a lot of people do turn, or not a lot, like 10% of the population turn to alternative medicine every once in a while. Um, and... Uh, of course, there are a lot of uh, spiritual ideas. There's a lot of like nature romanticism. A lot of misperceptions about science, and not to mention, we have one branch of of conspiracy theory that is um, has really blossomed here. But I'm not sure if it has blossomed all all over the world yet. But it's um, taken from the free men movement of, from America, and uh, basically, there's this idea that. Um, since i don't know what the term is in in english actually but like your birth certificate is a is a value paper is what we call it in norwegian it's like a precious document or something and in norwegian if Mm. you if you use the norwegian word that sort of implies that money is associated with this document like your birth certificate because it's an important document uh and using using the word value there and uh so so these conspiracy theorists um, seem to think that since this word of value is is um, attached to your birth certificate that means that every time a birth certificate is in, is instated it is actually a debt paper between the state and some bank that uh, transfers some huge amount of money to the state because of your life because you exist as a person and then there are all these a little bit crazy ideas about how um, maritime law is what actually runs the world, and there's this huge secret conspiracy about how everything is controlled. and no one should be a part of the state because they are charging money for you for your existence and you need to write your name in all capital letters and denounce your own persona. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of weird stuff. And we had um, there are some people here who believe that. they organized a little tour. They had a lot of lectures and stuff all around the country. I don't know how many people actually showed up for those but there was a tour and uh, the main woman who has been um, uh, a proponent of these ideas in Norway she first she tried to send her passport into the governor of her city and said I don't want to be a member of the state anymore I I um, I reject the state of Norway I don't wanna be a part of it and he said you know you can't just you can't just uh... um, Unsubscribe <laughs> from Norway. You're a citizen. That's the way it is. And he sent her passport back. Uh, and then she tried to not pay her bank loans because she said that the bank is a fake institution that uh, doesn't really have any power. And anyway, the the contract that she had made was between sort of the birth certificate persona and not her true person, her physical being, which is separate from whatever is on her bank certif- her her birth certificate. So she stopped paying her bank loans, and her house was uh, taken back by the bank and sold to another person. Um, so she also tried to make her own state before actually before she lost her house. That was supposed to be called Nice Land, and uh, but that <laughs> didn't really work either. She still lost her house, even though she had proclaimed her own state on her garden, in her garden territory. So I don't know. It's like. It's a little bit of a sad story, you know, because this woman, she is very she's um generally known in Norway now and basically as a conspiracy theorist who who lost her house. But she uh, marches on. She you can read about all her troubles on her blog and the, how the fight continues. Um so she's not deterred yet.
0: So because skepticism is quite prevalent uh it it is really restrained into these idiotic ideas that <laughs> that are spreading. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I me. should
3: mention what that that thing is called. It's called pseudo law. If you want to Google it and read about it, pseudo law. Wow. And uh, yeah, I think we've uh, squeezed a lot of them up into the corners.
0: Yeah, yeah. It really seems like that. But does this this current current Situation or current state of mind in the public. Um, does he have a lot to do with the uh, former activism in the the Nor- Norwegian Skeptic Movement? And by the way, how old is the Norwegian Skeptic
3: Movement? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, I can answer the last part first. Um, we have some really old laws that pertain to quack treatments. Uh, Norway has required their doctors to be authorized for a really really long time at least since the 1700s Um the first law that I've seen that was called the Quack Law was from 1889 and I know that there was one with the same title uh, even earlier than that so people you know that like they've tried to regulate alternative things for a really long time but the skeptics organization was created in 1989 1989, which is a lot later, and that was definitely inspired by American organizations such as the JREF and CFI, mm-hmm. um, and they mostly published a newsletter and some books. Um, and I am not sure how great their impact really was. I feel like it was kind of more of a club for people who were interested in that, and you know, sort of a safe base for people who who were interested in skepticism. Um, and I'm not really sure what exactly has has made Norway into the not extremely irrationally dominated society that it is today. But I should just mention, too, that there are, of course, there are some lines of dispute that are, are sort of where the skeptics' action is happening right now. And one of them is uh, genetically modified organisms. Um, mm-hmm. And another is immigration. I feel like that's where most of the skeptic effort is going right now, to setting the facts straight about what kind of benefits and what kind of aid um, refugees get there are a lot of myths about you know they get more like if you're a refugee here you get more than what a Norwegian retired person gets like no that's not true they don't actually get that much help it's, it's still hard to be a refugee in Norway um, and another one is is genetically modified organisms where there are a lot of misconceptions and a lot of discussion and debate uh, about sort of environmental effects and health effects and and stuff and that that goes on on a pretty pretty high level. So, I think that our our focus has moved to cases to to things that are a lot more complex than they used to be. It used to just be sort of homeopathy is stupid. And now you have to explain explain immunology for people who are afraid of vaccines. You have to explain, you know, genetic modification and and things that are a lot more new nuanced because, you know, most of the criticism that people um uh, people use against genetically modified organisms goes against or also is criticism of of conventional farming so g- these things have, have become a lot more complex so yeah we we're still working hard but but the, the mm. cases are a little bit rougher i think the issues yeah. are tougher yeah. we
1: mean we mentioned in the intro that you uh are often invited as uh, a speaker at different events and i believe you were a speaker at the recent rationalist congress in in tallin yeah we we plan to to interview sanal edamaruko soon on this show as well but Lovely. how was your experience of the congress
3: oh it was very interesting um you know the there are all these labels that we use on ourselves and and uh, you know, humanist, atheist, skeptic, freethinker, and rationalist. And you could really sort of feel that there was a um, a larger spread of topics that were talked about there. People talked about a lot more about religious freedom. um a lot of people talked about there was a lot of talk about like sexual identity and how we are doing debates these days, you know, like is there a regressive left or is that not a thing you know are people being offended too much I don't know it was a quite different debate than than what I've seen at um, skeptics conferences where usually the topics are a little bit more narrow more confined to like science and, and critical thinking directly not so much to freedom of thought human rights so it was very interesting I would recommend participating um, so as this podcast
2: um, is released, uh, the registration will be open for QED, which I'm really excited about because I love QED. It's one of my favorite conferences um, uh, and it will happen in October this
3: year. Will you be attending? Will we see you there? Oh, I hope so. I was at the last QED um, and it was so much fun. That's why we met. And I hope I get to go. But yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah, remember. The, I think so. Hadn't we uh, met before th- the Pontus? Maybe
1: we did. Yeah, I think we met. Well, I don't remember. I, I've seen you. We've seen each other several times. I can't remember.
3: But Andras and I met there. Yes. Uh, yeah. I hope to be able to go. Uh, we'll see. You know what pans out with work and money, but I'll definitely try to go. Mm. Very good. Excellent. Yeah, because at the moment,
1: all three of us are,
2: are, are definitely try. Well, trying to go.
1: I will be so... there. There is no try. There um, is only do.
2: And I'll be there uh, when the tickets are released. Clicking on a button. No. Book, book, book.
3: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I really think that these conferences are such a good I such a good way to meet people.
0: Absolutely. It's it's a perfect way.
3: Chatting on Facebook is all well and good, but then when you really like meet someone you really get an idea about what what you can do and, and mm-hmm. uh get a feel for what people are like. It's a lot better to meet in person still, even with all this technology.
0: As I understand you're not in the board of uh skepsis anymore. That's right. Uh was it for personal reasons that you you left it or uh do you are you still active within the organization
3: yeah no i left for for personal reasons i i just started uh working on a master degree and i knew that i would not be able to stay away from projects if i if i was on the board even if i tried to restrict my activity so i just decided that cold turkey was the best way to go um so yeah I'm not really a part of, of the board but you know I keep in touch i I check out what's going on and send them tips about stuff so try to keep in touch
0: great and and you're keeping in touch with uh um other organizations as well uh from from Europe I mean uh we are in several discussions discussion groups and mailing lists uh where you're quite active active as well
3: yeah you know it's like uh like I mentioned with the conferences going to conferences you really meet people and that changes how much you're invested in something so i feel like uh you know because i've met a lot of you guys that's why you contact me because you know me from norway so then you know i become the contact point and then i find some other people in norway to to do stuff if, if something needs to be done uh which is lovely i really enjoy, enjoy enjoy it
0: great so we definitely hope to meet you again in person me too but i'm afraid I'm afraid at the moment this is what we had time for. Uh, so thank you very much again for your time and uh, for coming on show for, a, for an interview. Thank you
2: so much. Hope and to
0: s- definitely hope to see you again. Marit Simonsen. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Marit. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Goodbye.
3: Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Yelena? Bye.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I would very much like to know if you have a nice and juicy logical fallacy for us this week.
2: Um, I've got a fa- uh, logical fallacy this week that is fairly um, wildly used, shall I say, by many people. Mm. Poli- politicians, okay. quite a lot. Um, it's called false dilemma, but it's got many, many, many names. Uh, also known as false dichotomy. Uh, the uh, either-or fallacy, fallacy of false choice, black and white thinking, no middle ground, or polarization. So when only two choices are presented, yet more exist, or a spectrum of possible choices exist between two extremes. So the false dilemmas are usually characterized by either this or that language, um, but can also be ca- characterized by a mission of choice. And another variety is the false uh, tri- trilemma, where... It, is when three choices are presented, when more exist. So, and I've chosen a couple of examples. Um, and the first example is uh, a fairly uh, well-known example, and it's a quote by a former U.S. President George W. Bush. Hmm. Um, and he uh, said that after um, the 9-11 terrorist attack uh, in one of his speeches. Um, you are either with us or with the terrorists which isn't really covering all the uh, possible choices so you don't have to be with America or whatever um, it, you know it doesn't mean that you're a terrorist a terrorist uh, necessarily um, and the other uh, obvious one that I, that I could think of was you you are it's it's used by uh, believers you are either a christian or you're going to hell So um, I don't know how many of us actually heard that, but um, I'm sure a lot of Christians think that about atheists and heathens. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so there we go.
0: Great.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a very common uh, logical fallacy and people use it all the time. And it's sometimes really persuasive if you don't think about it for a while.
2: Yeah, yeah, because like you only given like two choices and that's it, and you like thinking you kind of trapped, but there is so many you know other possibilities, and you should keep your mind open. Yeah,
0: I always attributed uh, this to the same mechanism as uh, the in group out group um, dilemma. Uh, it's it's like uh, it's a false dilemma as well in a way
1: mm-hmm.
0: that you. You are either with this group or that group. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're if you're not if you're not um, uh, for for example in my country if you're not a Hungarian then then uh, you're an outsider definitely if you yeah, weren't right. born in Hungary then you're an outsider definitely it not, doesn't necessarily have to be like that and um, it's easier for our minds our brains to process information if it's binary. If it's either or, yeah. we don't we don't do very well with the nuances. It's <laughs> yeah. it it takes effort, and
1: I wonder if it has to do with we want things simple, right? It's either this or that, and you don't want to bother with the grayscale yeah. in between.
0: Yeah, this is this is why it's widely used in communication, and this is why it's widely used by politicians, because what they want is easy sales yes. for their ideas
2: and and also i think it appeals to the emotional side so like it's straight away you know you're gonna trapped and you have to like yeah think oh i don't want to be called a terrorist so i might you know i must be with whatever the the, the thing referring to like with jo- judge w. yeah
0: but when 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 you are uh f- f- confronting or facing that situation when you're you're being told that you're either a terrorist or you are um uh, against a terrorist i would say fuck you i it's not it's not binary it's not like uh if i i don't subscribe to um military interventions then i'm with the terrorist that's just not true and uh but yeah many people don't s- don't start arguing about that it's like they accept it as if it was true and if if it was just the only way that you can look at that problem it's just not fucking not thanks very much helena all right thank you pontus yes someone must have been really wrong
1: again yes i i thought i would take this opportunity to illustrate something that's all too common in in uh in the news reporting on on papers and on setting headlines and stuff yep. and that is this is when you uh, represent the scientific study poorly just to get better you know sales or more clicks or whatever you want uh, so i've chosen an example from the telegraph uh, they had they ran an article that was called eating chocolate every day is good for your health good and uh, have you heard it before? No, 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 but I... Yeah, and uh, you all want to believe it, right? Absolutely, I do want to.
2: <laughs> on, on, on par with drinking wine and smoking.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, so, it's a, yeah, so it's very, very common. Uh, and uh, the quotes from the article includes like uh, uh, things like, If you're a shockaholic, a new study published in the British Journal of Nutrition features some good news for you. Eating chocolate every day could help prevent type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. Uh-huh. Uh, and it also goes to further to say that, um, according to a new study, those who claimed to eat chocolate were also found to be younger, more physically at- active, and had higher levels of education than those who claimed not to eat chocolate or uh, on a daily basis. So apparently we are supposed to eat chocolate on a daily basis, and who wouldn't want to think that is true? But if we then go to the actual study, which was a proper study, it was nothing wrong with the study, it included um, uh, 1,153 people in Luxembourg, ages 18 to 69. And if we look at that study, what they say is that Daily chocolate consumption is inversely associated with insulin resistance. So that means it says associated with. Uh, So this is an observational study. uh, And they found a correlation, Mm -hmm. but not a causation as such. Uh, uh, Also to note was that eating habits in this uh, study was self-reported. So you, you have this bias of people wanting to admit that they eat chocolate or not but if you look at this again what they say is you're younger more physically active and have higher levels of education that means that if you eat more chocolate you are young physically active and as if you have since you have a higher education you probably have a higher salary so you have a higher income that's that's not very shocking news you know young people eat chocolate Physically active people eat chocolate, and uh, if you're rich, you can afford to buy more chocolate. It doesn't really mean that it makes you young, rich, and and, uh, more physically active if you eat chocolate. Mm. Then we go to uh, um, one of the researchers, Professor Saverio Stranges, an Italian researcher involved in the study, he was much more cautious. So if they listen if you listen to the people actually doing the research, he said recommendations can include darker, dark chocolate in moderate amounts. However, observational results needs to be supported by robust trial evidence. So the the, the actual researcher are much, much more moderate, but of course they had to go and say, eating chocolate every day is good for your health. Because that sells papers.
0: The problem is that I want, I, I want that to be true. Yeah,
1: we all I want want, I to, want be to be <laughs> I want to be yes.
0: recommended a ton of chocolate a day.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So it's all wishful thinking in my, in my book. And uh, it's also about selling uh, papers and making good headlines. And I also think part of this—it was a, actually a bad article, but it was also a bad header. Uh, and I think that the, the sub-editors of the papers don't get enough uh, criticism for how they put the headlines. Very often, you have you have one journalist writing the, the article, and you have the editor who approves the article, but then you have the sub-editor who goes in and put a very, very seductive. Uh, headline which sometimes even contradicts the the actual article. Exactly. I think that's a problem. So, uh to the telegraph for misrepresenting a serious study, uh they get uh, this week's really wrong prize.
0: Thank you very much Pontus. I have to say that it's uh it's very sad that it might not be true. <laughs> I think this is again that moment when we have to to close the show with something. And there is still no better way to do so than with a nice quote. Do you have one for us, Yelena? I do.
2: Today's quote is from uh, Louis Pasteur, who was a French chemist and microbiologist renowned for his discoveries of the principle of vaccination and many other wonderful things. He said, science knows no country because knowledge belongs to humanity and is the torch which illuminates the world. Science is the highest personification of the nation because that nation will remain the first which carries the furthest the works of thought and intelligence. Okay. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you.
0: It's been fun again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So... Let's do this again next week.
1: Indeed. (laughs) Absolutely.
2: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Bye.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.
0: -bye. Bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rabe and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe So, that's a kind of a cryptozoolo- zo- crypto- cryptozoology. Today's quote is from Louis Pasteur. Lu- <clears throat> is it Louis Pasteur? Pasteur. Pasteur.
2: <clears throat> Today's quote is from Louis Pasteur. He was a French <laughs> chemist. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> he-, he was a...
0: Bit of Let's an exaggeration on, on the. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it was a bit overdone. Uh, okay, Never mind. Pasteur.
2: Today's. Pasteur. Yeah, well, he's he was one of the guys who did the invent or was part of the macrobial fermentation and pasteurization. So that's yeah the reason why his name is Louis Pasteur. Well, no, sorry, not not
1: <laughs> He was he wasn't <laughs> named after the process. He was the process was named <laughs> after him.
0: Well <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah.